0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. Today, we've got Peyton with us here today, and we are talking about training around your menstrual cycle, why the menstrual cycle is a vital sign, um, why someone would lose their cycle, exercise recommendations for regaining and improving your cycle. We're going to touch a little bit on cycle syncing. We're going to talk about recommendations for exercise when we are trying to conceive. And then we're gonna get into Peyton's personal story and what she's been going through the past year. We are discussing miscarriage and we will be, we will make sure to give you a trigger warning before we start that discussion in case you want to stop listening at that point. So the first half of this episode will be all about like menstrual cycle, why it's a vital vital sign and all of that stuff. And then I'll make sure to give you all a trigger warning And then we'll get into um, Peyton's story and beyond. So if you need to stop listening, fully respect that. So welcome, Peyton. Thank you. I'm really excited to be having this conversation. Me too. Peyton has really spent a lot of time researching this topic and then another episode that we're going to do on PCOS. And um, I think that this stuff is really important for women to know and understand. And one thing that I never considered – until recently, is that your menstrual cycle is a vital sign, mm-hmm. and it's a an indication that something is dysfunctioning in your body. Can you talk about that? Why should we consider the menstrual cycle a vital sign? Yeah,
1: so with the thought process behind menstrual cycle as a vital sign, it's just a it can be a really clear way to see that something is awry now there can be a whole gamut of things involved with why someone might not have a cycle or have something going awry with their cycle. But again, it's a very clear indicator that something might be off in your body. So it's something that if we have more information around and if we are more cognizant of, like the cadence of our cycle and things like that, then we can maybe have a quicker line of action. If something starts going awry, but I know for me, and I don't know about if this was your experience as a teenager, I certainly didn't think of it as a vital sign. And I also wasn't super aware of the cadence of the, of how often I was bleeding or if it was 28 days versus 32 days versus whatever it is. And it wasn't something that was ever talked about as something that could be helpful with knowing if something was going awry, like from in, from your endocrine system to something going on, starting at the brain, because the brain kind of kicks everything off. And it was just like, oh, you, you start your period and that's just it. Yes. And so I think that the tides are turning on this a bit in a good way in us really as kind of a society saying like, hey, okay, no, this can actually be extremely helpful for women and girls um, to have more information on and to start tracking that way that they can see if things fluctuate or change, like they might be able to tap into something a little sooner.
0: Yeah. I know I'm, um, as the listeners know, I'm pregnant with a girl. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about how I want to teach her when the time comes how to to track her period and how to track her menstrual cycle. I feel like that's something that was never really discussed when we were growing up, but it is something that it's important for women to, to understand. And it's not just like losing your cycle completely, right? There's other things that you can look at. What are some things that might be an indication that something like it's something you should look into or, or consider? What are some of the symptoms? Yep.
1: So beyond like fully losing your cycle, your cycle should be very regular, meaning it should consistently happen uh, every 28 days or consistently happen every 30 days or consistently happen every 32. There's this window of quote unquote normal. So not everyone's is going to be 28 days that that's kind of like purported or just thrown out there. But if even if you are fluctuating within the quote unquote normal range of like 28 to 35 days, that could be an indicator that something's awry. In general, your cycle should be very consistently on the 29th day, if that is your day. Um, And so that is one of the first things that you could tap into beyond losing your cycle. And if you think about it, that could be just a day or two different each cycle. So you really have to be tracking and tapped in to know if you are having those differences.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: if you're just loosely not even tracking or just loosely thinking about it like one or two days might not feel that different so you might not be aware that you're having these little inconsistencies but that's kind of like the f- the first little sign that something might be going awry with that system
0: yeah and now there's really like no excuse to not track because like there's all these good apps like mm-hmm. flow and natural cycles and stuff where you can track and you can track your symptoms and mm-hmm. you can see like okay this time of month the, on this day, I always feel high energy, or this day, Absolutely. I always feel moody, or whatever it is. Yeah. What about like, and you might, this might not have, you might not have gone this direction with your research, but I'm just mm-hmm. curious. What about like, um, s- like super aggressive symptoms? Like, yeah, like cramping, super like strong PMS. Super symptoms. strong. Yeah. Super yes. strong PMS symptoms. Yes. Definitely. Um,
1: There's with, the second half of your cycle, like as you're approaching your period, it's normal to feel changes in energy levels. It's normal to feel less energized. You've got a big surge of progesterone in that phase of the cycle that's prepping you to have a baby, whether you're like in that phase or not, like that's what physiologically what is happening. Um, and so with that rise in progesterone and like estrogen being less dominant in that phase, it is normal to feel like lethargic, lower energy, some like cramping, um, feeling a little um, hungrier during those times. All of those are super normal. But like you mentioned, if those are taken to the extreme, that is definitely a sign to, hey, maybe something's going awry. Like if you're having extreme cramping and pains during those five days, five or so days leading up to your actual period, um, or if you're having like intense mood swings, that was a huge one for me um, and something that I didn't realize until I started being more aware of my cycle um, because I didn't have as many physical s- huge symptoms, especially like not a ton of pain, not a ton of cramping, but mine for me was definitely mood. So again, some mood things, totally normal. There are these big swings that's that's a good like uncontrollable rage Yeah, that was me
0: (laughs) i've experienced that yes yes Yes, yeah like someone sniffs and i'm
1: like that lost it
0: we're out of here i remember when i first got my iud out i think i've told the story on the podcast when i first got that out and i started getting my cycle back regularly and started getting the hormone fluctuations yes it was a lot at like the first couple of months i noticed and i like raged on the guy at ups like i was like (laughs) Who, and it, it, I like was taking my, like looking at myself, like as I was doing it, yeah. I was like, what? Like from like, above. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was like, I am that person right now. Oh my gosh. I'm never that person. Like, who am I? It's almost like something takes over you mm-hmm. and you, And that's hormones at play. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just so powerful.
1: They are really powerful. So that's absolutely something to look into. And, and you mentioned like the cycle tracking apps and things, and those are great. I know some people are hesitant to to use them. I personally have used them myself and I've loved them, but there are also great methods of just tracking it like old school style, pen and paper. Um, there's even like whole workbooks and things that you can use to track instead. Yeah. If, if doing it online or doing it through an app, isn't your jam, like so, they're really in, and either way, no matter which method you're using, it's just going to give you a lot of insight, both into the timing of your cycle, as well as the symptoms that you're experiencing
0: yeah. to start noticing If there is a trend um, in what's going on. And what about hormonal um, birth control? How does that play into this? Like, does that, is that going to change someone? Like, that's obviously going to change people's symptoms. Mm -hmm. So is that something that we should be tracking, even if you are on hormonal birth control? I personally still think it's a good idea to
1: stay in tune and to stay in touch, especially if you plan to come off of any form of birth control at some point. So while you're not necessarily going to have the same type of fluctuations, because like if talking about hormonal birth control in the form of the pill, for example, like depending on what pill you're on, you're going to most likely be having kind of constant influxes of estrogen and progesterone. So you're not having those big dips and dives. Um, so it won't necessarily be the quote unquote same um, as if you were tracking with without it. However, you're Most of the time, if you are like using the, the pill packet as prescribed and like taking the sugar pills, for example, at the end, um, you'll still have a bleed and you'll still be able to get in touch with what's going on. So I, I just think of more information as power, regardless of if you're using a form of birth control, like the pill or an IUD or something. I I think it's still a good idea.
0: Yes. I did an episode talking about hormonal birth control and cycle sinking. We'll mm-hmm. leave that in the show notes. I can't it's number 122.
1: <laughs> of course, Peyton <pain> remembers. <laughs> I wrote it down before this. So
0: I was prepared nice. for that one. Nice. Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah, we talk about that a little bit more in that episode if it, if you are interested and in want to go learn more about that. But let's talk about losing your cycle mm-hmm. because I think that's also really common for women, especially women of I don't want to say just our age, but I just, I feel like I've experienced a lot of friends who are, they over-exercise and they under-eat mm-hmm. and they just lose their period completely. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about why that would happen. Yeah. So the
1: hypothesis or the idea behind this is that, and, and one of the, conditions or states that you can be in is called functional hypothalamic amenorrhea amenorrhea meaning no blood you've lost your flow lost that cycle and over exercise and under eating is one of the main causes of both primary FHA and secondary so primary is a delayed starting of your period as a, like as a young female and secondary is you had a normal period and you've lost it later in life. So that's probably more of what you're talking about with your friends. Mm-hmm. And especially for secondary, it's uh overexercise is one of the number one causes of that. And the hypothesis is that it's bec- it's because of this you're getting into this state of what's called low energy availability. So if you are not providing enough fuel to your system to compensate for the like just the level of outputs that are happening in general from your day-to-day life, from exercise, things like that, then it makes sense that something that would technically be optional for lack of a better word, like you're, you're like having a baby, would be the first system or one of the first systems that might downregulate in order to have normal systems in play, like digestion. Yeah. And your body's gonna
0: <laughs> prioritize the. You're keeping you alive over your reproductive system.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But it's like, while fertility is not vital to us being alive, if we've lost that cycle, that is a huge signal that things are awry with your system as a whole. And that there is this major, it could be because there is this major discrepancy in energy expenditure. Yeah. And so the one of the first things to look into is your exercise and
0: into how you're eating. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, I, I I can lose my period. I don't care. Right. But what are the long-term effects of that? Because, it and maybe we don't know, like maybe it's a big question mark, but it's like, I think just saying, like, seeing your menstrual cycle as a vital sign and seeing that there might be downstream effects to your health later on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: is important because that's just the first thing to go right. in the chain of dominoes.
1: Right, exactly. So with with what is happening to have a cycle, it starts at your brain. Your brain sends signal to the pituitary gland. That sends signals down to the ovary. So it's like your whole system is involved. So just because you're, you know. Just in quotes, just losing your period, you're down regulating the whole function of this system, which then changes how you're producing estrogen, which is extremely important, not just for your menstrual cycle or for fertility, but for your function and how you gain muscle and how you like your energy levels and your happiness levels and all of these like different mental health aspects as well. And then. It can even, and we'll talk more about this in the PCOS episode, but like it could change in how then getting into more of a state where you're maybe producing more testosterone. And so there's all all of these downstream effects from a hormonal perspective. There's no such thing as balancing your hormones. Like that that's a it's kind of the only term that's available for like getting into a good flow state, but your your hormones are constantly fluctuating. But it can put you in a swing where vital hormones to the female function and female body, not just in our reproductive cycle, but just in our bodies as a whole would not be functioning how they're supposed to. So long-term ramifications, it could be like, you know, obviously fertility being a huge one. um, But even if you're not worried about fertility, like I bet I didn't dig into the research for this specifically, but with PCOS, we did, and we'll get into that next. But I'm not sure how that would affect like potential like cancers of the ovaries or cancers of the uterus if those systems aren't functioning properly and turning over properly each month. I know it's in play with PCOS, but could potentially be an effect without having like a metabolic dysfunction as well.
0: Yeah. I think it's just a question mark probably, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's just, we need to make sure that that is functioning properly. And I don't think it should be brushed aside. Like, no, I think that it, you should see it as like, okay, this is the sign that I need to dig in. I need to double tap. I need to make sure that I can get this back. Uh So when we're talking about regaining, like if someone's like, Oh, I've lost my cycle or it's gotten um, it's changed a lot or whatever, and it'll change as we age, Uh I think. Um, But how, what are exercise recommendations for improving your cycle or regaining your cycle? Yeah. I think both for regaining your cycle and then later on when people are thinking of fertility,
1: it's really natural for people to want to gravitate towards quote unquote cycle sinking as it, of its popularity right now. And like you mentioned, we, you, we had a previous episode about it and then you had a big deep dive episode about it. That again is episode 122 um, that you could get more into, but time and time again, research is showing like big systematic reviews are showing that there is not a way to generalize at this point that we can see in the research to generalize the cycle and therefore exercise recommendations as a whole for like women with cycles. So it really is very individualized. And so this idea that with, with how a lot of with the way that cycle syncing is talked about a lot in today's world is like very drastically changing what you're doing in your plan from week to week based on where you are in the cycle, based on these natural hormone fluctuations. Um, but one that everyone's are very different. So that's like a one huge thing about it is each cycle is so individualized. Um, and then two it's missing out on what can actually be really helpful in regaining your cycle. And so when thinking of ideas for regaining your cycle, the first is taking like a hard and honest look at, am I doing too much? One, if we're talking about exercise, and then two, am I eating enough? So I think with the eating enough piece, just briefly talking about it, I know that you did a a nutrition and fertility episode, that's episode 144, that goes way deeper into it. But just to briefly talk about it, like just making sure that you're at Meet at least meeting your your needs. This might be a better time to go into maintenance mode um, of not trying to be in any sort of caloric deficit, just to give your body a chance to be more in that neutral zone, um, if not eating a little bit more than your needs. Um, and that's this is all based on like the registered dietitians we have talked to and worked with, but that's who we refer to when we're talking about nutrition. But just wanna highlight that that can't be overlooked here. Especially if someone has lost their cycle because of this over-exercise, under-eating equation, and then on the exercise front, really taking an honest look with what you're doing in your exercise. So, research shows that those who are engaging with vigorous exercise—that's usually most most of the studies show like 77 to 95 percent of heart rate max is considered vigorous. So, high amounts of vigorous exercise or these long, sustained cardio exercise, like runners tend to have this, a higher incidence of this amenorrhea, this loss of their period. So seeing if looking at your routine, seeing if like, Hey, does it fit more in that category? Am I tending towards more vigorous aerobic activities or vigorous cardio activities? Um, and can I dial back on that and instead bring in more strength training? Yeah. So that's going to be, it's really going to be more about dialing back than anything with yeah. regaining your cycle. Most likely if it's because of this, again, there's a whole whole host of things that can be causing you to lose your cycle. But if it's because of this, that's a great place to start is dial it way, way back.
0: Yeah. Should we give some people like some frameworks for what that could actually look like? Like, What would be a workout that they would maybe be in that 77 to 97% heart rate max and then what could they swap to, to be more beneficial for this? Well, that would be more like HIT style training. Um, so high intensity training
1: where you're having intervals of really getting your heart rate up into that 77 to 95%. Like think you can only say one to two words, usually comes with a lot of sweating. Um, and so instead swapping it out for really intentional strength training is what we would recommend um and having the cornerstone of your routine being a strength training routine in this phase of trying to regain your cycle can be really beneficial and like and i mean really focusing on not it being you know weights but you're really doing hit where you're yeah, yeah. jumping up and down with the weights you're doing adding in burpees you're adding in like really dialing back the cardio piece of the exercise and focusing in on targeted lifts Um, so I would say focusing on strength training, um, not, not super long bouts of strength training, even going more like in thinking in EBLO world, like more into the four or five time a week track, or you're just doing a 35 minute class a day for your strength training classes. So you're not, you're not spending, you know, a ton of time there. Um, and then if you're not doing EBLO and just trying to think of something on your own, focusing on more of those targeted lifts, more like a bicep curl instead of a more complex lift or compound move where you're getting more of that systemic exhaustion or systemic failure. Because if you're in this state, your body is in a state where it's, it's not going to be as tolerant of stressors. And exercise is a stressor, as we know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if we're in a state where we're trying to dial things back, Let's focus in on intentionally building muscle and not just overwhelming and exhausting our system as a whole.
0: Yeah, I think like less of the like bicep curl to burpee, mm-hmm. and that people think that oh, I'll I'll just lift weights and I'll just do stuff like that, right? And it's like like you said that that is really mainly just going to be cardio, mm-hmm. um, which again th- maybe there's a time and place, mm-hmm. but when it comes to female reproductive health and improving it doing those simple lifts that we do in avlo and if you want to if you want to know what we're talking about just do the Evlo trial if mm-hmm. you don't want to join you can we have a 14 day free trial not that I'm trying to like promote yes. it but I think it'll just be easier if people if someone's not an Evlo member and they want to know more of like what we mean by all of this yeah Go try one of our what – two weeks of our classes and you'll get a really good feel for what that feels like in your body and what we mean by intentional strength training that's not overstressing your body. Yep. And I think like probably a lot of these recommendations are the same for not only if you want to improve or regain your cycle just for like overall health and longevity and just like being a healthier human – but also for trying to conceive, right? Because mm-hmm. like obviously the more regulated your cycle is, the better chances you have at conception. Absolutely. It, there is so much research to support the
1: benefits of exercise for fertility. Um, but interestingly, and kind of in, in the same vein, research also shows that there has to be this balance when it comes to fertility. So it shows that high amounts of vigorous activity take away from fertility While more, as compared to a sedentary person, while more moderate levels of exercise, and this is in the quote unquote normal healthy female, um, while moderate amounts of exercise actually improve your chances of fertility. So it's not a, it's not a blanket term. There are some stipulations with it as well. Um, but. Research shows that both moderate amounts of moderate intensity exercise as well as strength training are beneficial for fertility because they help with insulin sensitivity as well as ovarian function. So utilizing exercise in a way, again, to prioritize and focus on building muscle and not on Trying to burn as much as you can in the exercise itself will actually also be extremely beneficial for fertility because you're getting your body in this like highly functioning, really healthy metabolic state um, that would then lend itself to holding on and carrying a carrying a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and for in my opinion too, with keeping that research in mind, I think that. Having your strength training as your cornerstone, then adding in, you know the the recommended one hundred and fifty minutes of moderate to light intensity cardio if that's feeling good, like walks and all. And then if and only if you're recovering really well, you're sleeping really well, things are going well all around, and you enjoy hit, adding max of one, in my opinion, less than fifteen minute hit session in per week when you're trying to conceive might be best case scenario based on this research that's showing that the more and more vigorous activity that you do, the more you're hindering your chances with fertility.
0: Yeah. So. And what's interesting is we have a lot of anecdotal like experience with this because we have had quite a few members tell us, like, I lost my period. I was able to regain it back with switching to this style of training. Mm-hmm. Um or I've been trying to conceive, and I was struggling, and I was able to conceive with by switching this to this type of training now, this isn't to say like that is a uh that is a surefire or way. like a scientific yeah this is not right. a scientific claim right about, yeah. every yeah not a scientific claim at all, but we do have some some story, a lot lots of stories to pull on from women who have had experience with this, which I do, I do think that that matters I also Um, have, we were trying to conceive for about six months and I was doing the five time per week Evlo track with cardio. So that's five strength training classes and, um, a hit one hit session every week, um, alongside my walking routine. And I decided after about five or so months of trying, I was like, let me, let me just take out the hit and see what happens. And the next month we got pregnant. Yeah. So whether or not it was me removing the hit, I don't know. Right. I don't have the evidence to to say yes this is what it what it did. But if you're struggling to conceive or if you're struggling to improve your period, um it might be something to try. Like there's really no harm in trying it. You can always add it back later. I plan to add it back later. Yeah. Um but I do think that it could be a good tool for for women to think about dialing it back and just removing, even if they're like, like I was only doing one mm-hmm. per week. And I do think that taking that out, my body, I noticed an immediate difference in how I, I felt. You, I remember you saying
1: how much better you felt. Like before yeah. finding out that you conceived that next month, you were like, I just feel mentally sharper. Yeah, I feel like I'm sleeping better, even better than I was before. Like those are all yeah. great signs to look at too. Of like, hmm, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm de- doing a little bit too much. Where can right. I, where can I tweak? Cause it's always with, with any of these scenarios, it's always going to be a science experiment with yourself. Like yeah. the, how we always say is everyone's bodies function really differently. Everyone, everyone's bodies tolerate exercise very differently. We can look at this research and these systematic reviews and give all of, all of this advice, but ultimately there are still going to be need to be little tweaks for your own your own system and and yes. how things are feeling for you so yes using this as a guideline and kind of as a starting point for okay let me start with this um and then maybe i dial it even further back maybe like maybe i do 3 days a week instead of 4 days a week or whatever it is for yes. strength training so being not being afraid to play around with it as well is really important
0: i agree totally agree and what if someone is hearing this and they're like well maybe i should just take out exercise altogether Mm -hmm. Do what, what tended from the research, what tends to be better? Is it just dialing back and going to moderate intensity exercise or is it removing exercise altogether? So when comparing vigorous to sedentary,
1: that's what they were showing is like sedentary in that scenario does have a higher chance of fertility than the, than the vigorous exercise group. Wow. Um, But when comparing vigorous uh, when comparing sedentary to moderate, it's like very clear, moderate ha- is like okay. a clear winner. so i I think based on all the different research, because there's even more than that, that's even just one systematic review. but there's there's tons and tons of research to show that exercise is very beneficial for both just overall health, obviously as females, but especially for fertility because of its effect on your ovarian function and on your system as a whole. Also, when thinking of fertility specifically and thinking beyond that, like, let's say you get pregnant, um, we know based on tons and tons of research there as well, that exercising while pregnant is extremely beneficial for both the mom and the baby. And so other this other cohort of research shows that your levels of activity prior to exercise can directly affect your level of activity during pregnancy, So if you're having a regular routine and you're utilizing exercise prior to conception to improve your fertility, improve your overall health, you're more likely to stay active while you're pregnant, which is extremely beneficial too. So it's like a a snowball effect in a positive way.
0: Yeah, I think it's if someone's listening and they aren't interested in fertility right now but might be later down the line – it's this is like, okay, this, it's never too soon to start this mm-hmm. and to start improving your body so that when you do get ready to um, try to conceive, your body is primed and ready mm-hmm. and you can have probably a lot easier pregnancy too. Yes, absolutely. Love this. Let's switch gears. And this is where I'm going to provide a trigger warning for those of you who do not um, feel comfortable listening to a topic about pregnancy loss. So I'll give a little pause. And if you'd like to pause the episode um, and come back next week, totally understand. But I want to go into Peyton's story a little bit. Peyton, will you kind of tell us what you've been going through this past year?
1: Yeah. So earlier this year, you and I did a podcast. I did not write that number down. uh, (laughs) All about my... My journey thus far with getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disorder that affects the thyroid. And what had led me down that path was and a symptom that we didn't talk about earlier, but I've had spotting during my luteal phase for over two years now. So having like anywhere between seven to ten days of spotting before I have a full-on bleed of a period. And I didn't realize its regularity until I started tracking. So that's another reason why I'm a huge advocate for tracking um, because I was able to tell my first provider, hey, this is happening cyclically. Like this feels like it has to be hormonally driven because this is happening cyclically. It's not random. I'm not just spotting whenever. And so that's what prompted me down the rabbit hole of seeking out different medical providers and getting more and more testing done. And so I got that diagnosis in February of this year, which led me to have to change the way I was eating. So, with Hashimoto specifically, gluten tends to be a really big trigger. Um, it's a Hashimoto's is a very inflammatory disorder, and so I removed I removed gluten from my diet and started on um, different supplements and medication for the thyroid disorder, and kind of got that rocking and rolling. All in the background of this. Um, my husband and I started trying to conceive last December, so two December's ago, and now December 2022. Uh, so I got that diagnosis and really got things dialed in from a nutrition perspective, from my supplement routine and medicine routine and all that, and had labs redrawn for my thyroid specifically this summer. And I think that's right when we talked, and I was like things are looking great for my thyroid because they were, they were, and are. So thyroid really started functioning well and I was I was really hopeful. Now, my spotting throughout all of that didn't change much. I had a couple months where I had a little bit less so that was hopeful, but then it came back. And but all the while we were still trying to conceive just normally and in August of last year I got pregnant and it was really exciting. It it was kind of wild because I had I had spotted that month as well during that luteal phase before I found out I was pregnant. And during that phase, I said, and in my head, I had said, if I'm not pregnant by August, like I'm going to reach out to a fertility specialist because of all these different factors that have been going on. So I had made an appointment with a fertility specialist on a Thursday to have the following Tuesday. And then I found out the next day that I was pregnant. And it was this crazy experience. And I was like, okay, well, I guess, I guess I'm all fine. I guess everything's good. And when I found out, uh, for the listeners, Shannon and I were would have been exactly six weeks apart. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a little bit of panic, but but excitement ultimately. We were like, Oh my gosh,
0: we're gonna be pregnant at the we're same like,
1: time. Of, of course we would. Of so, course. Uh, but so we, you know, once that shock kind of wore off, we were like, This is exciting, this is what what we wanted. I had my quick little fertility appointment the next Tuesday, and she's like, "You're great, you did it, go ahead." And I was like, "Okay, sounds good." So then, two weeks later, uh, and during this, during the first few, first two weeks of my pregnancy, the only two weeks, I was still spotting a little bit, um, kind of a normal spotting, and spotting can be really normal at the beginning of pregnancy, and but then one day, the spotting turned to full on bleeding. And it was a Thursday, and I just remember I was at a friend's house when it happened. and I just knew in my gut, I was like, this isn't this isn't normal. This doesn't feel normal. Um, and so I kind of immediately went home. And that's when then I started cramping and I of all through the night and woke up and knew that I had miscarried without being too graphic behind it. And luckily I was able to get into my provider the next day, my OB, and they did some blood work and they did an ultrasound. They did the ultrasound to confirm that there was no tissue left. So they didn't have to do anything medically or surgically to remove. And they did the blood test to confirm that I had been in fact pregnant, which that confirmed it. Um, And it was just a it was a, a pretty crazy experience. I came to work the next morning and I, I was sitting in this exact room. I will never, forget it. never, I will
0: I'll forget, never forget
1: it. I will never forget it. And I, luckily, I had, for some reason, wasn't teaching that day. I had taught the day before it. And I wasn't teaching, I like, I didn't have to teach that day. So I came, you know, no makeup on. Just had been, you know, of course, crying and all. And just felt extremely supported By you in that moment and by my loved ones around me. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just an experience that a lot of women go through, depending on what you look at one in three or one in four
0: pregnancies
1: and in miscarriage. Yeah. And I feel like, again, the tides are turning in a good way on this as well, and that more people are talking about it. Because I know when people I've known in my life have gone through it a few years ago, they felt a lot of shame around it. They felt a lot of guilt around it. And I felt really lucky to have known about their experiences, to have gotten the opportunity to talk to them about their experiences to where when I was going through it myself, I felt really free of that shame. That's so good. And of that guilt. Because I think so many people think it's their fault. So many. Yeah, so many. And I think that in the past, there was a lot of shame and blame placed on women of, well, maybe if you hadn't have done this, then X, or maybe if you just would have done this, then X. I know even my mind went to, I remember that day we had had like a longer day at work and I wasn't, I didn't get as much food in as like I would have wanted to or normally would. And And so my brain immediately went to that. And I had to remind myself of all of the research and all of the data and all the things that show that most of the time it is because of a chromosomal defect with the embryo. Yeah. It is a protective mechanism that if something is awry, that it's not going to implant. 60% of miscarriages are because of chromosomal defects.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and this is why knowledge is such power because you, because you understood that, yes, it wasn't my fault.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You didn't have that layered guilt and shame, which just so many women have with this situation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think exercise is a
1: big topic with this too. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of fear around exercise with pregnancy and fear of does exercise Can exercise cause miscarriage? So, I think it it would be good for us to talk a little bit about research shows there as well.
0: I think we should. Yeah. I think we should because no one would know any, like, no one would have any idea that this happened to you. Yeah. And no one knows until now. Like, this is the first time we're publicly speaking about it Mm -hmm. because you understood, okay, this is what I know I need to do next. And of course, you talked with your doctor and Mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. But you, we just kind of, Kept going. I remember just being like, "Do you want to take like a week off?" And you were like, "Honestly, no. no. Yeah. Like, I want to keep going. I want to." And so no one would have any idea. Yeah. And so yeah. So let's talk about that. And I guess exercise during early pregnancy mm-hmm. and like what are what are the risks, if any, with that? Yeah. With
1: exercise in early pregnancy and pregnancy in general all up-to-date systematic reviews show that there is no risk associated with exercise and miscarriage, especially light to moderate levels of activity uh, and staying within kind of the parameters or guidelines uh, for exercising while pregnant. So, and there is even research to show that like with high level athletes and that not increasing their incidence rate of miscarriage, but really focusing in on that there is like very, very strong data and evidence to show that light to moderate intensity exercise is not associated with miscarriage. So just letting someone let that sink in, like it is, it is not what you're doing in your exercise that like you, you did not cause this, you did not force this to happen. And so I think that that's really, freeing, like another, another thing that's freeing. And I think in the past too, there have been different professionals or different professional organizations that have like mentioned concern about, well, if you've had a lot of miscarriages, then exercise is contraindicated or shouldn't be done, but there's not research to support that as well. Because again, like I mentioned earlier, 60% of miscarriages are chromosomal defects And then beyond that, there are oftentimes issues with the uterus itself, like structural issues with the uterus itself that could cause miscarriage. None of those factors are modifiable by exercise. Right. So exercising isn't going to make that better or worse or change that at all. But what exercise can do is help to improve your health overall and both your mental health, your physical health, all these things which can lead to a more successful pregnancy and get you in a a better state. So I think removing that fear and encouraging women, of course, if they've gotten the permission from their doctor to continue with exercise, um,
0: I I think it's, it's really important. Absolutely. Do you wanna talk about your experience after your miscarriage as far as like what you did physically? Yeah, And because I think it's probably a very scary time for women. And like, what, what do, what do you do? Like, yep. It's probably like a freeze moment where it's like, okay, I just need to drop everything. So what, what did you do and what would you suggest now after researching all of this and like going through it yourself?
1: Yeah. So I dove into the research first to see, obviously knowing my own experience, I dove into the research and there really isn't research, any research at all around what to do if you are actually experiencing a miscarriage or just after so based on that I, I think it's especially based on that it's going to be very individual and I can I'll speak from my experience and then give some kind of guidance having gone through it but for me like I said it happened on a Thursday night I didn't have to teach Friday and so then I had my you know my two usual active recovery days quote unquote on on Saturday Sunday and I remember I just I didn't do anything specific. I maybe mean, did like a walk, um, but I wasn't thinking of physical activity at all. Yeah. I was just kind of thinking of relaxing. I know for me personally, I also bled for over a week after I miscarried. And after you miscarry, most of the time your doctors tell you you can't use a tampon or insert anything or like a, a menstrual cup or anything for risk of infection. So you have to wear a pad, which I'm not. I don't usually wear pads. So that on top of it was just uncomfortable and kind of honestly just a constant reminder of what was happening and what was going on. And so I just took it easy um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then Monday as well, I was teaching lower body build for the next week. So I didn't have to teach on Monday, but I came. I, I remember for me personally, it felt really good to come to work. And to be supported and to get out of my house yeah. and get out of my head a little bit and and do something that helped made me feel better and more productive. And then on Tuesday, I resumed my normal teaching and workout schedule. So Tuesday that Tuesday I taught lower body build. Again, still having to wear like the pad and all was uncomfortable. So I think if I was going through it without having to teach, which I could have just pushed it. Of course, Um, but I think for me, teaching felt really good and gave me. It gives me such a sense of purpose, and it made me feel really good physically. Yeah, but maybe if you are going through it at home, maybe that's doing Mm -hmm. a a lifting exercise or a lifting class isn't what you're feeling like you're craving. Like I don't know if my body was innately craving that per se. I think it was good for me, but I if I was at home, maybe I would have chosen something like the ease in week yeah. to do instead, where it's just like really gentle, yeah, using my muscles, kind of incorporating the more meditative elements in the beginning and end of class, kind of using it as a bit of a routine without feeling um too overwhelmed, I yeah. think would be a really good option for people. But it is so individualized and really important to reach out to your doctor. My doctor didn't have any she there were no um there were no worries or no um, contraindications to exercise that she saw, especially based on seeing that I had passed everything myself and all. So yeah. depending on your individual case, there might be a difference. But from a research perspective, there's not guidance, Yeah, um, which isn't necessarily surprising. And then so really knowing that it's okay to do exactly what you need for your body and based on your doctor's recommendations. Yeah.
0: I think your body will probably give you the answers. Her bodies are so smart. They they truly are. I think that, first off, thank you for sharing all of this so publicly. I know that it is such a vulnerable thing for you. Watching you go through this, because I was kind of there every step of the way as this was happening. And watching you go through this, I've just been so impressed and blown away by your level of maturity with it. Um, you had the emotional, um, strength to let yourself feel the way you wanted to feel and the way you needed to feel without pushing it aside Mm -hmm. while still continuing to move forward. And it was the most impressive thing Mm -hmm. I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Like, and just the fact that you feel comfortable enough to come share this with other women, I think is extremely powerful because it can feel very isolating Yes, I think that
1: because I had had so many women in my life who had unfortunately experienced it themselves, like having knowing even just one other person who's been through it can make you feel like you're not alone. So that's my hope with this portion especially of the podcast today is to show people that they are not alone, that it's not their fault, that I've been through it too
0: with them, and if that helps even one person, it's worth it to me to share. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for doing that. I know that this is extremely powerful. So, thank you for being here, Peyton. Um, anything else that you want to touch on that we missed, or I know we talked about a lot. It was a, a it was a lot,
1: and it was yes. a heavy one. I think we could maybe get into next time in the in the PCOS pod. On kind of the next step of my journey and where I went yes, from there. I think would be good.
0: This was not the end. Nope. This nope. was not the end. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that Peyton was going through all of this while we were also launching a brand new platform and app and working really hard. And it was, and she just, I was very, very, very impressed with you the entire time. Like it was just, like I said, I just, you're one of the most impressive people I know. So, well, right back at you because you were actively
1: pregnant through all of it.
0: So, you know, we used to going through our own stuff. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you again for doing this. Thank you listeners for listening and we will see you all next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.